What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 75 of the show. I am Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Ben Badler, who hopefully can get a little bit of a break now. January 15th is done. Our top 100 is rolled out. Uh, it's been a hectic last month, really, for you, Ben. But how are you holding up? It's good, man. It's uh, January 15th is busy, but it's fun. It's just such a hmm. it's a great day. I mean, all these players have been hearing about for years been watching and talking to scouts and so many probably made two 200 talked to 200 plus people <laughs> to put everything together for it and then everything kind of coming together on one day we're now being on january 15th instead of july 2nd there's no major league games going on there's nothing else happening on the baseball calendar you know sometimes it collides with the what salary arbitration day on twitter <laughs> um, but otherwise yeah like this year just kind of had its own its own spotlight so it's cool for these players to yeah get that um you know just to get that recognition and for you know <laughs> these players have been waiting for for years for this day to come so you can definitely sense the palpable uh, excitement and exuberance the mm -hmm. The night before and and the day of certainly for all these all these kids yeah well i think honestly it's it's probably a priority for scott boris so he, he makes sure not to have any of his guys sign on that day he keeps the offseason going slowly so these january 15th kids and international guys can have their <laughs> their time in the spotlight so you can thank him for that for the major league free agents, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, I mean, if there was a big free agent signing on January 15th, it may be still some of the thunder of these guys. But he was very cognizant of that, aware of that, made sure to not create any news. So good on good on Scott Boris for helping you out there, Ben. Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely a busy day. It gets to the point, like, you know. Yeah, how did it compare? Was How did it compare to, like, a typical January 15th? I imagine January 15th, July 2nd, whatever date on is on, it's always, like, super hectic and busy for you and lots of – lots of calls and texts and just information coming in. I'm sure there are plenty of people like, I imagine you probably get a lot of the requests to do interviews on January 15th from like other publications who want to know about the international players. And I can't the way imagine. you probably do on draft <laughs> night, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. It'll be mostly for me. It's like on draft day, people are kind of watching the draft and then it's either draft as soon as day one ends that night or the next morning, people are like, Hey, can you come on our show? at 11 a.m. I'm like, if the draft is happening, like e even though I know you probably don't care about rounds three through 10, it's it's ongoing still. So I cannot quite yet, but <laughs> maybe later. Yeah, it's basically nonstop for um, all day. I mean, the good thing is like, look, we know, you know, we put up our top 100 bonus board, which again is a bonus board. It's a ranking based on just lining up the players based in terms of the strictly it's talent agnostic it's just strictly in order of what we expect their uh the top 100 signing bonuses to be uh, you know some guys off by some spots here or there once the final numbers come in uh but i think 90 percent of them you know the players who should be in that top 100 should be uh ended up being there um so uh even if you read elsewhere in other uh media reports saying um this was Baseball America's number seven or twenty-seven prospect. Um, I don't. I really don't know a way to signal what the board actually is better because every year I feel like you go out of your way to say what it is, and people look at a a story or an article or a ranking that has players in order, and it's just like it's a ranking. So it's it's very tough to get that across. 
but yeah so yeah look like obviously we we know or we have a pretty good idea of where these top guys are going to sign so it's not like a mystery of tracking down all these signings or being like uh you know, sources, the Red Sox agreed to sign with Vladimir Asensio today. Like, no, it's just all, all of these agreements have been agreed to, um, you know, either at somewhere between the last probably six months to two, three years, going back to, I guess, even probably 2020 in some of the earliest cases. So um, it's more, um, you know, tracking down a lot of the newer signings and, and a lot of the signing photos uh, that are coming in, just trying to share as many of those as I can on Twitter, on on Instagram too. And then there's just there's just so many of them coming in at once where it's like, all right, early in the morning, not much <laughs> happening. Players are just starting to sign or they're going to sign later in the afternoon or at night. Uh, and then by like the late morning, it's all right, I'm trying to post signing photos and I have to literally just swipe away from all of these new messages that are constantly coming in just to be able to tweet out the photo or post it on Instagram. Cause we get it, man. You're popular. Jeez. For one day, for one day I am popular. <laughs> yeah. You had a screenshot, I think of your Instagram stories and it shows, I guess little icons for how many stories to scroll through, and I think it's the longest I've ever seen. So congrats! They don't. On your most people content. don't know this because most people have never had any need or desire to post more than a hundred Instagram stories in a day. But <laughs> Is I that think the limit? at I think at like a hundred because they stay up for twenty four hours. But I think after a hundred or whatever number of absurd uh, posts that I made there, they do delete it. So even if it's not up for 24 hours, they're like, all right, let's... They're not wasting their servers on your Instagram account, Ben. Let's, yeah, like, let's be honest. <laughs> we're cutting you off. This is clearly spam. I want to know the person who swiped through every single one of those photos. How many people do you think went through every single one? Do you have uh, analytics on that on your Instagram? I, I don't really get on Instagram. A lot, much. yeah. Because You're much can, more of a Zoomer than me in this regard. Yeah, because I can see who... I, I can see how many people have seen the most mm. recent story. And if you're seeing that one... It means you flip through all wow. of them. Yeah, people love. It's, it's dedication. I mean, it's a cool. People to see love to swipe the, and scroll on their phones. That's true. Yeah, it's always like a balance too of how many do I post on Twitter versus the Instagram stories. It would be easier, obviously, if it was just one place. But I also don't want to post, you know, three hundred <laughs> tweets in one day either. I feel like it'd be. Do you thread them all together yeah. so people can click on one tweet and just scroll or no? No, I, I don't wow. have. Uh, there's, <laughs> You're a Twitter power time. user too. Come on, Ben. Make there's it easier not, for the people here. There's no time for, for that. It's just trying to push it all out there. So, so how many Monster Energy drinks did you go through is the real question. Zero. Just woke up, had the, had the protein shake, had some oatmeal later in the day, had a sandwich <laughs> for dinner. So you didn't uh, you you ate two meals and one was a protein shake and one was a sandwich. <laughs> you don't consider the oatmeal a no a meal no. <laughs> Not really. It seems like it goes like maybe with the protein shake. You're on a real a real like bodybuilder diet over here. Well, you're we're just trying to get it quick and efficient in there. Uh, not, okay. not eating for flavor on January 15th. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I mean, one thing that kind of ties January 15th with the. I mean, I think top 100 prospects day, where would you put that in the hierarchy of BA, notable BA calendar events? It's got to be top three, right? 
at least maybe talk, you could make an easy case that it's the biggest day of the year for BA. I mean, I think I mean, it's the J- draft. It's only, it's I was going to say, don't let JJ hear that. He's going to tell you it's the rule five draft. Yeah. Well, I mean, J- JJ and Jeff can, uh, can go into their like ultra niche, uh, area of, of baseball geekdom and, and claim that it's rule five. But in terms of like, in terms of like general, it's weird to say this because I don't think baseball America readers are like general fans, but like the main BA readership, I would For say core audience. Yeah. Yeah. I would say yeah, top would 100 s- days is, is probably, I, I would say top 100 or draft day. Again, I'm biased because the draft, but which would you say, how would you rank? Yeah. How would you rank the top calendar items on the calendar? I'll do mine really quickly. Draft is number one for me, obviously. It's, it's like my January 15th, except we get a little excitement because we don't know who's going where. Um, I think top 100 might be two. Just because it's fun, it's like a culmination of a lot of work. Um, three is probably the day that we send the prospect handbook to press when it's done. That's maybe less exciting for it's like readers. The day for you, yeah. yeah. That's like just a big relief. You always feel really excited. You always feel proud of the work you did that year. Um, so that's a good one. Four for me. Ooh, honestly, opening weekend of college baseball. I- I'm kind of going in very much personal. I-, I steered this away from biggest events for BA in general to like what are my favorites. Opening weekend of college baseball is always fun because I'm really itching to get out to a field. And then five, I'll, I'll cap it at five. Um, I'll say trade deadline is fun. I'll say trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, the top 100 is definitely our most popular day of the year. The draft is the most consequential, I would say, because that's when you, you know, the top 100, it's not like your team, you have teams getting new players entering their organization. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of know who is going to be in the top 100 for the most part but um obviously it's a big day in terms of the list coming out yeah the draft i put july or not july 2nd january 15th mm. uh up there uh, i like to the just the day that people get their handbooks and start yeah. posting them i Twitter. thought about that cool but to, it was like it, it, that's more like a, a, a trickle or yeah. a flow it's not like one day if it was like one day everyone got it the same day that'd be a logistical like an awesome logistical move but um yeah that's a good one too yeah um yeah one day we'll get the drones sending it to everybody on the same day <laughs> so what, what was that three for you you said top 100 draft january 15th when people get prospect you got one more if you want to use it mm, i mean like notably college... all of these have nothing to do with actual on-field baseball for you i was gonna say you know like the college world series is a big one but it's not like necessarily specific to to us it's just something big on the calendar yeah do you get more excited for like which which season start are you most excited for amateur college season minor league season major league season like which one of those gets you amped up the most i Mm. I honestly feel like major leagues might be the least just because it happens oh the minor league season i guess happens later depending on what you're yeah, mine is definitely college baseball season kicking off. Is my because college gets here first. It's the so. first one. It's like, and mostly I spend the summer seeing more of the high school players, and I'm always spending the off season talking about the college players and writing about them and digging into the numbers and like, like getting a chance to see Travis Bazana opening weekend will be fun because it'll be my first in person look of him. Um, and I've just been doing a lot of work on him already, so like actually lining up my eyes with everything that I like my perception of him as a player will be fun and just the general excitement of like games that that matter because again a lot of the 
there are some tournaments. This is why Jupiter is always fun because it's a very much a tournament where the games matter and are meaningful. But a lot of the stuff that I specifically watch is not like game competition. And so it obviously is for college baseball, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I would add to the maybe the first day I travel in the summer, probably like in June, to go down and start seeing the summer circuit mm. stuff for players here in the States. Cause it's like, all right, now, you know, you get updated reports and things like that and see some of the players during the spring, the underclassmen, but so much of the focus during the spring really is on the draft prospects for yeah. the current year. But that's the first time where it's like, all right, now, now I'm excited to go down and see a whole bunch of guys from around the country for, for the following years and for like a couple of years hmm. draft classes. So uh, always a lot of excitement with that for- travel. Previously for me, that one, my first showcase would have been Perfect Game National. And previously it was like the first event that happened right after the draft. And so that was almost like more of a hangover for me than a a bit of excitement because it comes after like three days of the draft and then traveling straight to PG National for like five days of eight to eight games and workouts and batting practices. So it was like you're kind of exhausted, but you're also seeing guys for the first time. Now it's a little bit more blended into the calendar because we get some events prior to the draft with like the upcoming classes so it's a bit harder to have a like a hard cutoff of classes for me now but pg national will be before the draft this year yeah i think there are going to be some shakeups with how the summer works um i mean depending on what usa baseball is going to be doing this summer that that might just serve as our like pdp league equivalent week where we just get a first big look at the next class um, I still don't love that you have to kind of mix your focuses, but you know, it is what it is at this point. And no matter when it falls in the calendar, PG national is always a really good event just to see a good depth of the class, see who stands out tools wise. It's just a really good event for evaluating players. So, yeah. And you love your air conditioning there. So, you'll be oh sad. man, I, I truly am blessed with a lot of like kind of bougie setups to watch players I know scouts are going to be pumped because area code games is going from San Diego back to Long Beach, uh, Blair field. That's going to give scouts some more shade. And I think the scouts were just so used to the event being at, at Blair field that they're just pumped that it's back. I mean, personally for me, I love going to San Diego as, as any rational human being probably would. So that's going to be a bit of a bummer, but the amount of domes that I get to just hang out in, like you said, in the air conditioning and watch players is something that I, I should not take for granted. You don't like carry North Carolina at the USA facility in uh, the middle of summer in North Carolina? I think my like top three worst places to watch games would be all of these are middle of the summer. It's probably Fort Myers, number one. Fort Myers for Perfect Game National. The oh, first the year I did it was horrible. Yeah. It's like lightning delay after lightning delay. The rain is terrible once the rain happens you get the florida humidity with the like july heat um two or like hoover alabama for east coast pro has actually been fairly good the last few years i've gone weather wise but i remember one of the first years it was pretty brutal in terms of the heat and yeah you're right (laughs) Cary, north carolina just that facility the way it's set up there's really not a lot of shade you can find um but listen to us ben complaining about the environments of our jobs watching baseball players yeah we'll get you we'll get you to the cape soon carlos that is the bougiest of all bougie events (laughs) 
Oh man. Okay. Let's let's talk about let's talk about some players again. I wanted to ask about um, Leo DeVries. He is. Does he go by Leo? Am I just making that up? Leo Dallas DeVries, who was the lone international prospect from this year's class to immediately jump on the top 100. Um, I mean, that decision is basically based on your input, Ben, since you're the expert on those players. Like, how much of a no-brainer was that for you? And what's, like, the track record of players like this who immediately do jump onto the top 100? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's just my decision. In fact, like, I just brought him up as a player that, you know, like, when we put together the handbook, we have reports on... 900 players in there right but we don't have the international signings in there yet so all right let's make sure we consider him for this list and i thought you know like, if you just look at the players who are in the back of the list uh you know in that 90 to 100 range or you know 80 to 100 range yeah i think you go like 70 to like 150 they're all kind of yeah i think he fits in that group he, he doesn't he's not somebody where i'm like oh he absolutely 100 percent needs to be on there, but I think he fits there in terms of the talent when you just balance the upside and the risks, the strengths and weaknesses of his game. And then you look now at the historical data that we have of our rankings of international prospects going back the last decade. It's, I mean, look, I, I put together the rankings. It's better than I would expect for a group of players who are signing out of the Dominican Republic and Venezuela at 16 years old. Um, you know, it's uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Wander Franco, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, obviously last year was Ethan Salas, uh, Roderick Arias, who's on our top 100 prospects right now, Jason Dominguez, Marco Luciano, both top 100 guys who are in the big leagues. Uh, and then, of course, you have the you know, somebody like Kevin Maiton, who was a complete bust. Uh, Adrian Rondon, also a complete bust, turned into, you know, these guys delivered zero value. Um, and, you know, especially for <laughs> the Braves, uh, probably negative value for uh, <laughs> uh, for the franchise. But um, it's it's like a, it's a pretty impressive track record. And, and it's, I don't even think it's like, oh, I'm so smart that I rank these guys Number one, it's just you talk to so many different people throughout the course of trying to line these guys up, write their reports, figure out who should be at the top of the list. And when there's just so much, um, not necessarily consensus, but the, you know, na- certain names keep coming up the most where it should be, you know, it should be clear if you're doing your homework who belongs either, either at number one as the obvious number one guy or who the obvious top, you know, five or so type players should be. So it's, you know, we didn't have that data, obviously, 10 years ago, but knowing what we know now, seeing the track record of what the, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and the outcome, I was going to say outcomes, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is still what, like 23, <laughs> 24 years old. Eloy is I yeah. think, 24 or something like that, 25. So um, even a lot of those guys are still in their early twenties, like Dominguez, Luciano are just on the cusp of breaking in right now. So mm-hmm. um, we don't know the total outcome, but clearly, um, you know, we think enough of them now to be very high upper top 100 prospect rankings. So um, 
knowing those knowing that record and knowing the 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 reports that we have now on DeVries, uh, I think he certainly merits being mm. in that group. And and while some international prospects right now, one of the challenges obviously compared to uh, even five you know five years ago is that you know these players are reaching agreements when they're 13, 14 years old and not being scouted as much in games uh, anymore by all the other clubs. Uh, it's not really the case with DeVry. He is one of the exceptions to that. Like he's played in a lot of tournaments. I mean, you guys have seen the video I posted. I mean, that was a tournament that he played in um, last year. Everybody was there, you know, him, Fernando Cruz, Victor Hurtado with the Nationals, like these guys are all on the same team. They're all playing there in front of a bunch of scouts. No, not necessarily a lot of directors because the directors are, um, you know, looking for players who are going to sign in 2027 or 2028 uh, at that point. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people have seen him play, so it's not a uh, not a lot of mystery with him and the reports on him and just what I saw myself. Everything is. Uh, pretty exciting, especially offensively, switch hitter, uh, a lot of contact from both sides of the plate, and it's not a not a not like a little slap hitter either. He's uh, hitting for power. He has a good approach for his age. Uh, solid defender at shortstop. Maybe ends up second base. Maybe ends up third base. But he has a chance to stick at shortstop. I'm sure the Padres will throw him out there, give him all the reps and opportunities to prove that he can stay there so um yeah i'll be of, excited to see him and him and ethan salas both playing at triple a together this year that'll be a lot of fun yeah that's that could <laughs> that could happen too i i do think they'll yeah they'll probably be aggressive with him the not maybe not necessarily the same way it ended for ethan salas being 17 years old and double a but i do think he's one of the guys that they'll bring over to the states for uh, spring training and extended and you know who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about him getting to low A um, by by the summer, the same way Salas did. Yeah, and kind of talking philosophically about the process of making the list, I do like the idea of having a guy like Devree at the back end of a, a list like this because I mean, part of it is just where all these players are at in their careers, but it does feel like it's a lot easier to just be excited about the possibilities with Devree. Whereas with a lot of the players in this range, you're almost looking at all the things that they don't do well. And it's weird to say this because we're talking about the top 100 prospects in the game. But I did feel like this year there was a pretty decent drop off in talent somewhere around like the 60s to 70s on this 100. And for me, putting together my personal top 150, it was like a lot of players I was looking through that I, I didn't really want on the list. And you just kind of had to find the profiles that you liked the best of your your options and so it's i would rather personally be i'd rather be too high on a player like devree too early than the opposite and and just be later to telling people about how good he is or could be like if i'm going to err towards one direction i would i would err towards that direction so i like having him on and i'm also curious about since like you are busy with january 15th we don't you didn't get to put together your own personal 150 but how do you view the back end of this top 100 do you view it similar similar to me after like going through the process of the handbook looking at the top 100 looking over all the data it's not like you're not looking at all these players just because you didn't put together a top 150 but do you think you would have been in a similar bucket to me whereas 
where like you get to the back of this list and you kind of struggle to find which players to put on because I had that issue and then also just like separating players in this range becomes very difficult because I do think from like 70 to maybe even like 130 or so it's a lot of interchangeable players for me yeah I mean there's definitely different tiers of players and as you get toward the back of the list like the difference between number 88 versus number theoretically 128 is not that great and it's it's a kind of a balance of you know everybody has some combination of strengths weaknesses upside risk so there's like there's players who are in the 90s who uh, we have on our list who I, I would not personally have in there but I, I do think that back of the list maybe is stronger than you think it is but if you you know like if you look at like Lazaro Montes, uh, Mariners outfield is right at the back of our list. And I really like him. He has huge power, uh, really cut down on his swing and miss last year for the Mariners. Um, it's still a high, higher swing and miss rate. I think the strikeouts are still uh, a concern. And he hasn't really proven it at much yet at a full season level for uh, any extended period of time yet. And he's maybe a corner, a decent enough corner outfielder. Uh, he might get so big that he ends up at first base or DH. So I, I do think he belongs in the top 100, but um, you know, you can say these guys were a little bit further along than debris or, you know, even guys who have proven it at, at higher levels, but uh, you know, they have their, their own holes and, and their own flaws in their game. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of risk with DeVry, uh, not necessarily relative to other players his age, because I think his polish makes him lower risk relative to other players his age. But if we just expand it to the broader prospect universe of anybody we would include in the top 100, like, yeah, sure, there's more risk with, with him than there is with, um, you know, somebody you know, like a Sedan Raffaella, for example, who's already been in the big leagues. But, um, you know, there's also a lot of risk with other elements of Raffaella's game. So I think like, you know, DeVry is somebody where, you know, maybe he goes out next year and, and does struggle. I, I would be surprised, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him as a, a top 50 or, or top 25 overall prospect at some point, whereas a lot of these guys toward the back of the list probably wouldn't say the uh, the same thing for yeah and i'm kind of curious if there are any players that after looking at our top 100 that we settled on if there are any guys who jump out to you as, as players you would be higher on than where our list has them if you'd be higher on them personally or any guys you'd be significantly lower we can talk through a couple of these players at the list because i'm sure we both have a number of them in both directions but whether are there any excuse me that jump out immediately to you in in this kind of conversation um i i really like nil amador with mm. the rockies i mean we have him high right now uh, to me he'd be I'm, to me, I'm a little bummed that the first guy you picked was also the guy of of the people who submitted lists which was myself jj cooper matt eddie kyle glazer josh norris and jeff ponce i was the highest of the group on adel amador so in great podcasting duo fashion, we're agreeing, Ben, which is always great audio. Yeah, well, it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm being a good influence on you, is what you're saying. So that's true. Uh, your your love of hit tools is wearing off on me here. 
Yeah, he's you know he doesn't have he's not like the dynamic, flashy defender of some other guys, but I, I do think, like you said, he's a really polished hitter, extremely disciplined approach, feel for the strike zone. I think he's going to get on base at a really high rate. Uh, and there's, I think, potential for 20-plus home run power. Uh, it might be more second base than shortstop long-term. Uh, might kind of depend on the makeup of the major league roster, but um, he's somebody where I just have a lot more confidence in his his bat and the kind of deliver the the value he's going to be able to deliver from his ability to get on base consistently at a really high rate yeah i was the same i mean we had him coming in at number 36 on the board here on my personal list i ranked him 22 i pretty much agree entirely i think you look at the the hit tool grade we put on him it's one of the more aggressive hit tool grades you'll find uh, of any of the prospects that we have ranked um, we have a 70 hit tool on him, which is extremely loud. I think even without a ton of power, that's a, a pretty loud tool. And the fact that he's probably going to be an up the middle defender on the dirt paired with that hit tool. I mean, I, you don't really have to sell me too much more than that. I think it's just a really good combination. Um, all of the hitting traits he's shown are exciting. And I think I would personally have him a little bit higher, but um, let's go to another one. One of the guys that, that stood out for me and at the very top of the list, it maybe won't be huge like numerical differences, but in terms of tier breaks, I think those happen quicker. Um, we have Robbie Snelling, 27 on our top 100. I had him 17 on my personal list. I think I was the only person that had him inside the top 20. Um, but when I look at Robbie Snelling, the fact that he throws left-handed, the physicality that he brings to the table, the athleticism that he brings to the table, what he did in terms of um, performance last year as an 18-year-old getting up to double A, his feel for spin, the control improvements. I mean, I don't even know if it's improvements. He's always had a really good feel to, to spot that breaking ball. I just think he has a lot of traits that, that you want to see from a pitcher, and he backed it up with performance, and he throws left-handed. Like, that's a, just a great combination. There's nothing in here that really concerns me too much. I think makeup-wise, um, third pitch-wise, I think I think he has everything here. So I would, I would have him as one of the very best pitching prospects in the game, which... I mean, I think we still do have him in that range. There are only a handful of arms ranked above him. But given the age, given the handedness, given the feel for spin and the performance and getting to the, the upper levels of the minors, I would I would probably have him a little bit higher. Um, would you take him ahead of, so like Kyle Harrison with the Giants or Ricky Tiedemann with the Blue Jays, two other lefties we have pretty high up the list? Yeah, so my pitcher order went Paul Skeens, one, I had him eighth overall. Then I had Jackson Job two, I had him 15 overall. Then I had Robbie Snelling, um, third at 17 overall. I had Andrew Painter, Cade Horton, Kyle Harrison, and then Ricky Tiedemann. Um, one of the things that I noticed with my list this year is I think I was fairly aggressive in penalizing injury risk. Um, I don't think I've been as aggressive in the past with injury risk, but particularly for injury risk with pitchers, I was maybe towards the more pessimistic um, like penalty range for that. Just looking at where some some guys with injuries like uh, the Dylan Lesko's of the world, the uh, Ricky Tiedemann's of the world, Shane Boz, um, see if there are any other guys that, that obviously jump out. I think even he's not a pitcher, but Colson Montgomery, I had him a little bit lower, even though I love the tool set and I love everything he's done while he's on the field. Just some of the injury history with him made me be a little bit lower. So. 
for better or worse, that's what I did this year. Um, and it pains me to say this, Ben, but I was the lowest in the staff on Dylan Lesko. And I think part of it is because of just like penalizing him for, for TJ, which I'm, I'm glad we ended up with, with him where he was on our list. I think it's a better representation of his talent than where I had him on my personal list. But I have to fess up to this one because I am like the Dylan Lesko fan of the office and it, it feels very blasphemous to me that I had him lower than everyone else. It's a little bit shocking. You would have to turn in your gun and badge for the Dylan Lesko. <sighs> I do. I, I might have to, like, I'm not going to, but if, if, if everyone came up to me and made me like the evidence is here, it's, it's, it's in the numbers, it's in the rankings. I think everyone else was in the like 36 to 57 range with Lesko. He was 67 on my list, Ben. It's a shame. Wow. That is, that is alarming. <laughs> this is why it's good to work with a team because you can course correct for foolish, um, foolish takes like that. And he's 38 on our list, which is great. All right. The uh, I, I well, would where say, are you at with those pitchers? Yeah, don't. Yeah, if I mean, if you had to ask me who would be like who the most overrated players I think are on this list, I would say just generally that group of injured pitchers or that group of pitchers with medical. See, you are rubbing off flags. me because this is why I was more. This is why I was more uh, negative on those. Are, yeah, so like I, I would still have Painter very high up the list because I think his talent when he you know, prior to his surgery, we'll, you know, we'll see when, what the stuff looks like when it comes back, but the, everything, if, if he hadn't been hurt, he'd I think clearly be either the number one pitching prospect in baseball or in the, you know, not even be a prospect at this point. He might just be in the Philadelphia's <laughs> rotation right now. Um, so I, I still would have him pretty high. I would have him a little bit lower relative to, uh, you know, Jackson Job, I guess, did didn't pitch a hundred percent this year because uh, of I think it was the back injury this year. But that's to mm-hmm. me is different than it's it's still something worth noting. But it's not the same as uh, elbow surgery or a you know yeah. a shoulder issue with some of these other guys. So Where, yeah, so Painter, I had I had Painter eighteen on my list. Would you have had him lower than that? He's um he's twelve on the actual top one hundred. Probably a little bit. Yeah, I I'd not top twenty for you probably. Yeah, I'd still be a little bit lower just on general. I think just in general, I'm going to be, e- even for healthy pitchers, I'm probably going to be lower on a lot of them would, anyway. Would you have had Paul Skeens inside the top 10? I think he was on. He was yeah. inside. Yeah. Okay, so he's kind of an exception for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the you know, and he's been, there hasn't been any medical issue with mm-hmm. him yet that we uh, know of. I mean, yeah, the Pirates fingers kind crossed. Of shut him down at the end there. Um, I would say probably prematurely, but um, I think they activated him prematurely and should have just let him start next year with a full off season. <laughs> yeah, but I'd, I'd still have him in that group. But you know, like him, Ricky Tiedemann, like Shane Boz, Mason Miller, all those guys. I I just personally would have lower. I I think, like as much as I love Noah Schultz. And, you know, and I think Noah Schultz is a top 100 prospect. I'd probably just have him lower, just given the medical with him. You'd have him now. lower than 40? Yeah. I mean, 40 is pretty high, right? Well, it is high, but we also we, – we got some feedback on, I think, one of the uh, – there are some Mets fans on Twitter that – like they reacted to where we had Jet Williams, who I thought we had in a pretty aggressive spot, a pretty good spot. He's ranked thirty, and I, I guess being top forty now is not not exciting for people. 
Well, you can never, you know, you can never rank my favorite players high enough. That's yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay. Well, I it's I guess it makes sense. It makes sense to me philosophically when you say this because I I know where you're at with pitchers and pitcher risk and attrition of the prospect profile in general. But I also know how much you love Noah Schultz, and so those two like clashing uh, perspectives is it's hard for me to grapple right now. I had him kind of right in line with where he's actually at on the board. So maybe I, I was not as I didn't penalize him as much for the injury questions as some others. So yeah, and it looked like we send this list out to to people around the industry, people around teams uh, and front offices for feedback. And sometimes they will say, "Oh no, this you know one of these pitchers who you know does I think have pretty significant medical red flags. Oh no, move move them up." And I, I think that's just a general industry bias of oh, we overrate what we see or what we have seen, uh, especially like in person and with our own eyes, uh, which is, oh, yeah, I saw Ricky Tiedemann go out and he looked absolutely electric in mm -hmm. the, you know, the three innings <laughs> that I saw him pitch and underrate what we can't see, what's uh, or what's not just staring us in the face at the park or on video or in the data uh, itself too, in terms of the, you know, the stack cast data that we're getting on these pitchers, which is the medical risk for these guys. And it's, it's a big reason why I think so many players don't end up uh, panning out the way we expect them to. Uh, they just don't have the durability to hold up as a starting pitcher. Uh, they're not able to handle that workload or the, you know, the, the injuries that they have end up having effects in terms of their stuff atrophying. Uh, there's a degradation of stuff that can happen where you might have, you know, when you're 21 years old, you might have the best stuff you ever have uh, in your entire life. And by the time you're 24 or 25, your stuff has gone backwards just because of the, the health of your arm. So, uh, you know, it's not it's not the case every time like Walker Bueller had, um, you know, surgery, uh, you know, he had certainly medical red flags when he was a prospect. Uh, there's plenty of other guys who've done it and gone on to have successful, uh, very, very good major league careers. But uh, it's just an area where I, I think we tend to uh, overlook that and get a little bit too excited about what we see mm. uh, in pitchers rather than uh, accounting for what's not, just staring us right in the face. Do you have an idea of who your personal like top five pitchers would be with, with all of that said, like who are the, the guys you're most excited about after Skeens? Yeah. I mean, certainly Skeens belongs up there. Um, Jackson Job, I think is, I mean, yeah, he was, he was the, two the for reports me. on him were electric this year for, I mean, athletic pitcher throws a ton of strikes, uh, got to double A right by the end of the year. Uh, really good fastball. The slider we've talked about forever. Uh, mm -hmm. It's always been his calling card. And then I think you've written since he was in high school, scouts have seen a, a really good changeup for him when he does throw it. And he threw it a lot more this year. And that is a dirty pitch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, like, you know, I want to see, want to do want to see him handle a bigger workload, but you know, it wasn't elbow. It wasn't shoulder this year so if he can handle uh you know a, a starters full season workload I, I think he could be uh 
I would expect him to be a number two starter and a chance he could be a true number one. Yeah. Speaking of Job's pitch mix, uh, Jeff Jeff had a piece today as we're recording this about the best pitches in the top 100. And Job kind of was near the top of the list with both the breaking ball, which is maybe not surprising to people who followed him, and the changeup, which potentially could be a little bit more surprising just because he's kind of the ultra spin guy. Um, but yeah, that changeup has been pretty filthy since his high school spring um, when he just started throwing it more often. Uh, and then when you pair that with the command he's shown with the athleticism, like, yeah, if he just stays healthy, I I have a lot of confidence in the impact he's going to bring to a team's pitching staff. Um, and like I said previously, I think my next three after Skeens and Job were Snelling, Painter, Horton. Um, and I think fairly clearly for me, that was kind of my top five grouping after that. Kyle Harrison and Ricky Tiedemann were maybe a little a little tear break after for me. But there are some yeah, people who, who view Ricky Tiedemann as maybe the best pitching prospect, just given the pure stuff. Um, but I'm a little more concerned about durability, injury, um, getting deeper into games. I, I would like to see that more before I shove him up a list. Yeah, yeah, I'd put Horton, Snelling in that group too. I think, man, uh, Jacob Mizierowski is going to be, if you ask about polarizing, I mean, he he may end up being the best <laughs> of... Uh, or, or among the best of this group. Uh, there's certainly a lot of people who would have him a lot lower because they just think, oh, no, he's just a reliever. You look at the effort and the delivery. You look at the lack of strikes that he throws. But um, I think the the raw stuff that he has and some of the progressions that he's made in terms of the strike throwing is is very encouraging and just the raw stuff i think is as good as any pitchers in the minors yeah the the power to his breaking ball is is pretty elite i think he averaged like 88 miles per hour and gets to 90 with that pitch so uh josh was saying in a podcast recently our, our top 100 roundtable podcast that when mizirowski is locked in he's the best he's the best pitcher on this list and if oh, you can just if you can just lock in more stuff. yeah if you can just lock in more it's it's absurd upside, but yeah, I guess we'll see how how the command improves moving forward. Okay, um, any other like player groupings um, that you want to talk through here? Would your so four of the six people who submitted votes had Jackson Holiday number one? It's a third straight year a different Baltimore Orioles player is the number one prospect, and with Samuel Basayo checking in right at the back of the top ten uh, at number ten overall, they have a chance for four straight, which seems just inconceivable. Um, do you have any qualms or difference of opinion with uh, the very top end of this list before we work down down it a little bit more? No, I, I think Jackson Holiday deserves to be the number one prospect in baseball. Shortstop, super advanced hitter, um, got to double A at 19 years old, or excuse me, triple A, I should say. Um, great strike zone, discipline, can recognize pitches square up fastball breaking ball change up uh any type of pitch uh some i would say surprising power for somebody who just like doesn't look all that physically <laughs> imposing and he will. I mean, he just has a super youthful uh look to him and i think there's yeah i mean i think he could be the i think he's a chance to be an mvp type player yep. um that's franchise cornerstone oh, i guess you know <laughs> the orioles have a few of those right now so i don't know if that several yeah. fits for him but uh, just in that specific case but yeah i think he has a chance to 
consistently be, uh, you know, one of the top on-base guys in baseball, playing the middle of the diamond, uh, be a, you know, 20-plus home run type guy too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love Jackson Churio, love Junior Caminero, obviously uh, Evan Carter too, uh, like all these guys in the top 10, I, I think, belong here. I, I might be a little bit lower on jordan lawler but like it's mm. more of a splitting hairs type thing for me point. the um and i, I want to ask you about jackson holiday's defense too because i feel like i feel like i am seeing a lot more questions about like where holiday plays from some people and i'm probably much more optimistic about his shortstop defense a lot of it will just depend on like the other players in the the system like you mentioned they got a ton of other really talented infielders but um i would be i think i would be more more optimistic than others on staff about his defensive ability at shortstop and again on this podcast i feel like me and you have very much been like the jackson holiday truthers um to a large extent but for me the top at the top of this list i viewed holiday chorio camonero carter langford cruz as kind of like the tier one um and then i i would also view like a tier break when we get to Jordan Lawler and Ethan Salas, just given some like, given some concerns with proximity with Salas, um, you get into schemes, I mean, pitcher attrition, proximity with Sal- Salas is at the same finish at the same level as Dylan Cruz and I. I still Ryan have Langford. I still have more questions about him offensively at those levels than I do with Dylan Cruz and White Langford. I would say that's how I'd put it. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. I've, Wyatt Langford certainly hit better than <laughs> even <laughs> Salas, who was I guess seventeen years old and <laughs> yeah, double A. Like I, uh, I like Ethan Salas and ranked him top ten. I think he's a phenomenal prospect. But I also, I want to see more with the bat too moving forward. Like I think all the guys in front of them, like very little questions about anything offensively with any of them. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel super confident in Ethan okay. Salas's hitting ability. I yeah. think it's just you know he got. He he's the same age where he sh- he should be in the either the Dominican summer league, or, and playing high school baseball in Florida as a like a high school junior, <laughs> this past year. Or so yeah, I mean what uh, he's done is historic for sure. But if we're if we're talking about the players that I have ultimate confidence in their offensive chops, which is the most important, I I would view a tear break between these top six and Salas personally. All right. Yeah. See, I, I'll. All right. Well, I'll disagree with you because I, I think Salas. I think Salas belongs in that tier. Like, yeah. He, Again, I, I ranked he, him nine. <laughs> I just. All right. <laughs> all right. But I mean, it's obviously you don't like Ethan Salas for some reason. But I'm out. You know, I'm out on Ethan know. Salas. <laughs> no, but I, I think he's. I mean, you're right. He, he's not. Even though they're at the same level, I do think that yeah, Cruz and Langford are more advanced right now. Uh, and closer to the big leagues, and they should uh, be. They're four years older, so right. So they that's had a SEC time. That, yeah, yeah, that's true. They're you know they're bigger, they're older, they're stronger, they're more physically developed than Salas, who's still a teenager right now. But Salas has a it's just a beautiful textbook left-handed swing. It's short, compact, quick, uh, adjustable. Bat stays through the zone for a long time. So if the you know pitch is out or third, he, he stays behind the ball, drives it to the left center field gap. Uh, he can turn on balls to a lot of contact, knows the strike zone. You're starting to see some flashes of 
power. Like, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be the power that Cruz or Lankford have. Uh, I don't think he's going to be quite as physical as those guys, but he's still 17 years old. You're seeing flashes of power. And I think it's going to continue to spike up as he just gets into his, you know, literal man strength, which he's not even a man yet. He's 17 years old still. So, um, and then you just, everything behind the plate is like, what more, how or how much more can you ask for from a catcher who's yeah. uh, 17 years old or like 25 years old? Frankly, it's insane polish for somebody that age in terms of the, uh, you know, the flexibility, the agility, mm. the mobility, the receiving, the soft hands, the yeah. quick transfer. The I haven't seen Salas in person, but I do think like seeing his hands was the most like shocking. It's the most shocking like actions receiving that I think I can remember seeing from a player. And it's just on video. Um, it's it's really impressive just to watch him catch. Yeah. And then all the other intangible stuff that the managers and pitchers love to have in a catcher bilingual speaker extremely smart like the veteran pitchers will throw to him and they're like that he was 17 like i I love throwing to him just like in a bullpen or um in a game wherever so i i think if if i had to make a bet on who's going to be the number one prospect in baseball a year from now i mean i would assume you know holiday churio caminero uh, certainly evan carter uh, barring some terrible injury uh, these guys are all gonna graduate mm-hmm. next year I, I think ethan salas has a, a really good chance to or, or would be my pick to be yeah. the top prospect in baseball next year if i had to make a bet yeah. Well, you're not alone in that opinion. We had a piece that that went out. Um, I'm not sure if it was today. I guess it was today. Um, both Josh Norris and Matt Eddy also chose Ethan Salas as your as pick for, for number one. Yeah, they are notably smart guys. Um, although Josh was the lowest of the crew of my pick, Dylan Cruz. He had him 14. Was the only one of the group to not have Dylan Cruz top 10. He had Ethan Salas six. So he's much more in line with you on Ethan Salas as, as opposed to me, the noted Ethan Salas hater. My pick was Dylan Cruz and it was pretty much like, I agreed with you, every every player in front of Dylan Cruz on the list, I think is pretty likely to graduate. And I think once you get to Cruz, it wouldn't be shocking for me to see him not graduate, just given the state of the Nationals. Um, the fact that Adley Rutschman had a full season um, in the upper levels of the minors and after he was selected, like I think both are are equivalently polished and advanced and ready for the majors and could easily make their debuts this year. But I just don't necessarily know if the Nationals will will start his clock, even with some of the new incentives designed to kind of activate players quicker. So I, I think Salas is a great pick. I, it wouldn't sur- surprise me at all. Uh, I think Walker Jenkins would be another name that I mentioned as a candidate to move into this spot. We have him just outside of the top 10. I think he's got a pretty... I mean, we've talked about Walker Jenkins and Max Clark ad nauseum on this podcast. So it's probably not a surprise to hear that I like him and think he could be positioned to be number one. Um, what about Samuel Basayo, though? He also is ranked inside this top 10 range, um, two spots away from Ethan Salas. Again, it's, it seems like a pretty clear top tier of catching prospects. Um, these are the two guys. How would you view the gap between Salas and Basayo? They're very different players. Um, but in terms of where they're at on the hundred, it's pretty close. Yeah, very. Yeah, you're right. Different, both 
catchers, both very young. Sal is younger. Um, I mean, Basayo probably actually has more raw arm strength than uh, Salas, but Salas, everything else defensively has him beat. But yeah, I mean, Basayo looks like a guy who could be a absolute monster hitting in the middle of the lineup. A ton of confidence in his, both the hitting ability and the power. I think I he'd have to go out and have like a like a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. type season when, you know, when Vladdy was <laughs> in the upper levels of the minors at 19 years old uh, for, for me to have him as the number one prospect next year, most likely. Um, I mean, he, he, he already is a top 10 prospect in baseball. There's not much higher for him to go, but um I do think, well, while he is a catcher now, and I wouldn't rule that out for him in the future, uh, obviously with Adley Rushman there, there's uh, just some practical uh, um, limitations for (laughs) whether he's going to be able to catch much in that organization. But yeah, I I think there's uh, a lot more risk with him that he ends up uh, at first base. Ultimately, now I think he has, you know, the maybe he is like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and he can be, um, you know, a guy who finishes what what was Vladdy you know, a couple of years ago, like top five or second place maybe in MVP in his early twenties. So I, I do think he he probably does have that kind of upside, but he'd probably have to have that type of season this year for him to for me to have him as the the number one guy next year but he i mean he could still be like top five and i i absolutely love him yeah so how much would your perception of basayo change if he was just not a catcher at all and was exclusively limited to first base like where on our top 100 do you think that player would fit if even if you think like catching might be unlikely for him the fact that it's a possibility is is so significant for the profile overall like, I guess the question is how how much confidence do you have in him being a good enough hitter to provide value at the exact opposite end of the defensive spectrum? I think to me, I, I would probably have him right around the same spot because of the, the confidence in him is because I, I think he can hit and hit for so much power that he will be a, a plus or you know, well above average regular if he does have to go to first base. Hmm. And if he can catch, then it's like, wow, okay, even even better. But I think there's already a pretty high probability baked into the ranking that um, that he will end up having to change positions. So okay. uh, I don't yeah, think so it that would basically answers a lot for it. me. Yeah. No, that makes sense then. I kind of view it similarly. Um yeah. So I guess I guess the the catcher being stuck by his name is maybe over representing like how much the defensive value plays into his ranking here. It's it's much more just conviction and the hitting ability and the impact potential. Yeah, and, and I would agree too with you know Walker Jenkins, Max Clark being good candidates for next year. I mean, kind of the similar vein of you know Jackson Holiday was the first overall pick in the draft last year. These are the top two high school players out of the draft in 2023. I think both of them probably could have been number one overall picks in 
other years. So uh, I could certainly see both those guys, uh, I was going to say flying up the list already pretty high, but I could see both of those guys being top <laughs> yeah. five or, or even number one overall. Yeah, both are top 20 currently, and I think the top 20 is fairly strong overall, especially this top 10. Um, but let's work down the list a little bit more, talk about some other players that maybe either we specifically are more split on or maybe you're higher or lower uh, than the list. I'll throw one out there that I am – and we just talked about him a few podcasts ago, but Michael Bush being a top 50 prospect, I had him 64 on my board. I think just the combination of his his age and defensive limitations would have me, I, w- I would rather have, for instance, like a Colt Emerson inside the top 50 and Michael Bush outside of it, just because of the projection, because of the defensive ability, um, and because he's playing a, a more premium position. Are you with me on Michael Bush, or is there another player in this range that you're higher or lower on? Because that, I think, as we scan down, Bush is probably one that stands out to me. Um, Owen Casey, maybe another one, just numerically, but I would be more willing to take a chance on Owen Casey's profile in this range. Uh, who are some others that that jump out to you? Um, yeah, yeah, I like uh, especially in uh, yeah toward the you know 40s and 50s. I really like. Both Cole Young and Colt Emerson, um, mm-hmm. the Mariners, shortstops, both very, very hitterish uh, young players who will play. Uh, you know, maybe shortstop, maybe second base. I probably have more confidence in Young at shortstop than I do with Emerson. But both, both good athletes and both really talented hitters. Just a lot of conviction in their bats uh where you know where you know whereas like harry ford for example who you know who i liked coming out of the draft and and there are still things to like there but a lot more risk i think in terms of um how he profiles where he ultimately plays defensively uh i think he you know he has been catching i I don't know if that's going to be in the future for him long term so uh, of those mariners he'd be one i'd uh, have lower on my list and then Emerson and Cole Young just a lot of confidence in their bats just the the ease of operation that they have at the plate the swings the contact ability uh, and then the power with Emerson that we saw this year uh, it was just better than I would have expected uh, coming out of the draft it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of barrels and a lot of hard contact high exit velocities coming off of his bat. So, um, you know, for a guy who was picked at the, you know, toward the back of the first round, which is, you know, pretty high, but still to have him already right on the cusp of being a top 50 prospect is already uh, pretty aggressive. But I think of the guys who are in this group, those probably might even push him up uh, even more. So obviously mm-hmm. really, really like that pick for Seattle. Yeah. I think the most notable post-draft up arrow players include Colt Emerson, Matt Shaw, Hurston Waldrop, Bryce Eldridge, and Nolan Shenwell. Uh, although in terms of draft position, Shenwell went a lot higher than uh, our draft rankings. But he is, I would say, one of the more polarizing players on this list and the back 20 spots or so. Another player from the 2023 draft that I feel like is at least polarizing with our staff. Uh, although for me, I had him ranked 72. He winds up 76 on our list overall. Uh, Wilson was one of the players who got significantly less love from from everyone else who's putting in their own personal votes 
Jacob uh, the, Wilson you're talking about? Jacob Wilson, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Jacob Wilson, the shortstop selected by the A's with the number six overall pick. He was the first player taken after this kind of elite top five grouping. Uh, so bummer for the A's to be picking there. Uh, I still like Jacob Wilson quite a bit. And like I said, Wilson was one of the players um, probably beyond, behind um, Emmanuel Rodriguez and, and Colt Emerson to get a significant amount of up arrow feedback from the industry when we sent this around um, just to try and dial in our list and, and figure out where we're missing. And I wonder if we've gotten to a point now where because Jacob Wilson's exit velocity data is not super exciting, if he's just a player that's easier to sleep on a little bit. But I like Wilson because the, the bats of all skills are so exceptional. Uh, the contact ability is, is so impressive. Just the pure hitting ability, I buy into enough. And I think he can be a, a solid shortstop that I still have him in this like back uh, quarter range of the top 100. I'm curious like where you if you fall more towards me, more towards some others in, on the staff or maybe more skeptical of the impact he can provide or, or somewhere in the middle. Or maybe you're higher than all of us. Uh, I think he's like in the right spot. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know. So you agree with me. Perfect. Okay. Uh, I thought you'd have him higher, you said. I have him higher than everyone else on staff, but he wound, we wound up pushing him up based on industry feedback, and that just so happened to be like four spots away from where I ranked him personally. So like others, other personal lists, if you go through, I guess we didn't go through 50 on the published ones, but I think every other person except for Kyle was significantly lower on Jacob Wilson than me. Like a number of people didn't rank him in the top 100. Yeah, I think he has one of those magic wand type bats where he can yeah. just make contact with uh, just about <clears throat> just about anything, and that's mm -hmm. a, a great foundation to build upon for a young hitter, especially somebody who can play shortstop to has really high level instincts for the game. Uh, the exit velocity, the lower exit velocities for him are definitely a concern i think it's definitely a fair red flag it's uh you know i saw him playing with team usa um thought he probably had more power than he really does uh, at the time because i probably saw some of the best days <laughs> of his life i saw those power. same days and i thought the exact same thing with you he turned yeah. on a few in durham that were really impressive yeah yeah with wood bats i mean it, it was it was a really good performance there um i think it could end up being uh, limiting for him long term. Uh, on the other hand, he's not. I mean, he's also not Nick Madrigal. Like he's not this five foot nothing. He's not completely maxed out physically. You can dream on infielder. a little more strength. Yeah, right. So you, yeah, you can. Yeah, right. You can dream on it. Might dreams might not come true, <laughs> but then look like there's other guys to like DJ Lemayhew coming out of. Um, LSU was what six three, six four, really tall middle infielder who like just you know ha had a lot of good scouting feedback in terms of um, or, or had you know certainly scouts who believed in him in terms of the the hitting ability that he had, uh, but didn't hit for a lot of power when he was in his early early to mid twenties, and then it came on. Uh, later in his career, and he ended up being, you know, a few all-star games and, and a really productive uh, major league player. Um, so I, I think there's some possibility that, yeah, he just does, he does get stronger and he does grow into more power. But, uh, you know, the exit velocity concerns, I think, are certainly fair. If, if he didn't have him, he'd be a lot higher on, on the list. 
Yeah. No, I agree entirely. I think that's a good breakdown. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, keep, I would say the guy in, there, in, in this range that I'd have personally higher would be Brian Rocchio with the Indians, yeah. uh, or excuse me, with the Guardians. I feel like for several years you've been on, on Rocchio. Yeah. Like since he <laughs> – kind of since he signed, I think I pegged him as the – a sleeper in the Guardian signing class for when we did their international reviews at the time. Just really heard really good things about him. Then, as far as his feel for the game, contact skills, the you know they they were calling him at the academy. They were calling him the professor just because he was so much smarter <laughs> than everybody else on the field. So uh, I think that nickname has hung around for him. Had a you know hit really well in the, the DSL. Uh, that first year and, and they brought him over to Arizona, I think midway through, even though he wasn't a big signing for them at the time. But I mean, yeah, he got to what to triple a when he was 21 years old. Uh, he was 22 this past season, uh, almost as many walks as strikeouts. I mean, it's, I don't know how much of that. So it's hard sometimes now with the ABS, the automatic strike zone that they have to know how much of that is, um, you know, uh, the the hitter versus the way the zone was being called. But I think he ha- does have a pretty solid sense of the strike zone for his age. Uh, makes a lot of contact. I think there's going to be um, maybe more power than people think. We, we didn't see a lot of it this year, but, you know, the year before it was, uh, you know, 18 home runs uh, between double A in triple a uh still young uh and, and a really good defender at shortstop too so he's somebody where like you just you grade out the raw tools and there's nothing maybe spectacular in there but uh, a high contact bat shortstop who can defend the position well uh who can get on base and hit for enough power i i think those guys can be really valuable even if there's nothing spectacular on in terms of just like one raw tool that really jumps out at you yeah uh another player that uh, i'm probably a little higher on than where he's at on our board is brayden taylor uh i ranked him 73 on my personal list he checks in at 95 overall one of the final players to make it on the list and um he's kind of long been a, a fan or i've long been a fan of him Similar to some he's of the things you're saying. For a long yeah, time. he's been a fan of mine for a while. He's, he follows me, follows all the work that I put out. Um, appreciate you following, Braden. Um, but no, just the the conviction I have in his hitting ability, uh, his feel for the zone, like you were saying with Rokio, I, I just think Taylor knows um, when to swing, what to swing at, how to work counts. He's always confident in the box. And again, he's not a player who has really any standout physical tools. I don't, I don't think you could say that he has a single plus tool. Um, you can maybe say that everything is just average outside of the hit tool, which again is, is the most important, um, just a lot of conviction in the hitting ability. And once we get into this range, 70 plus, I, I would rather bet on a guy that I think can hit and play on the infield. I think he could play third. I think he could play second. Um, not sure if you're going to get like a gold glove or a super flashy defender, but I think he'll be a reliable defender. Uh, I am curious what sort of power he'll hit for. Uh, I think he's one of these players who doesn't really have a ton of raw power, but has just really efficient angles to the ball, um, pulls the ball in the air, um, and is able to kind of maximize the the power that he does have. 
at least that's the hitter that he's been in the past if he's able to continue doing that in pro ball i think you've got a really solid player if if maybe not a super flashy or spectacular one a, a player that just has a professional approach um so that would be one other guy kind of near the back end of the list that that i'm higher on than, than the group definitely hitterish traits with him do you think he hits for enough power as a third baseman yeah i guess that would be a question and a, a decent critique i think one that makes sense um i feel like a lazy comp for this has become alex bregman for me but like he doesn't have a ton of raw power he just puts the barrel on the ball and hits at efficient angles i don't think that Braden taylor will be as impactful as, as alec Breg- alex bregman obviously but i think that if he does get to power it'll be kind of like that through that path it, it wouldn't shock me if he was like a 15 to 20 homer kind of guy um i'm not sure if that's like an optimistic outlook for you but depending on your team composition and depending how the defense plan pans out like i think that could be enough um but again i think he'll probably provide some defensive versatility even if he's a guy that maybe you just shuffle around uh, because you have better defenders elsewhere and he's he's with an organization that's fine doing that with the rays so um i wouldn't expect him to have like 20 plus homer seasons consistently but i think he'll it's i don't think he'll be like a light bat that's a liability in that department yeah yeah i think that's fair i'd probably have him just outside the top 100 but like we talked about the difference between number 85 and number 125 is uh pretty small if almost maybe even non-existent it's all kind of in the, yeah. the same tier yeah all right. Any others you have? Um, any others that you're lower on, maybe that that you wouldn't want on the list or wouldn't personally have on? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Guys, toward the looking toward the back of the list here, Luis Morales with the A's. I mean, I think that's been certainly a a good signing so far for Oakland. Um, but I, I'm not on him as a top 100 guy right now i think there's he does have good stuff um he throws hard uh you know there's certainly feel for spin there with him but i'm i I think there's a lot of reliever risk with him um i don't see a like a much of a change up yet Uh, and we really haven't seen him it's it's a very small track record in pro ball and especially small track record like he threw 44 innings last year and i think 24 of them were above either the dsl or the arizona complex league so 24 innings in low a high a uh, there's strike throwing concerns there too so um it's it's always a tough adjustment for uh or can 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 often be a tough adjustment for cuban players coming over uh their first year in the state so I, I think he you know he handled it well and certainly made a strong impression on a lot of scouts who saw him because he does have good stuff but I, I do think there's still a lot of uh, starter versus reliever questions there so um you know, I do like he's one of the best prospects in the A's system, definitely. But top 100 guy, uh, maybe again, maybe it's just I'm more conservative with pitchers, but he'd be outside the top 100 for me. Yeah, that'll make sense. Uh, one of the guys that I'd point to kind of in this vein would be 
Sedan Raffaella. Um, I'm just, I'm just more skeptical of this profile. I think it's yeah. probably back to back seasons now where I have been skeptical of this profile. He didn't really do anything in 2023 to change my opinion of that. If anything, like my concerns are only amplified or at least consistent year over year. Um, I, I've talked a lot about this sort of elite defender center field profile with bat questions that has burned me personally in the past. Christian Pache is just a uh, Victor Robles. Like deeply Christian Pache. Deeply when you rank, psyche, yeah. when you rank Victor Robles ahead of Juan Soto, um, Ben, it, it tends to stick around and make you feel like an idiot. So <laughs> Rafaela is not going to be the guy for me. I just think that, even though speed and defense, I think, is becoming more valuable at, at the end of the day, like I think there are a lot of players who can play defense at a high level and strike out. And I would just be very concerned about what you're getting offensively from Rafaela. I mean, I think the strikeout and walk rate in the minor leagues that he's shown, I think that the underlying data and chase rates and in zone contact rates and just overall miss rates and approach with him, I feel like he has to make a significant adjustment or else major league pitchers are going to carve him up. And I just haven't seen enough, enough improvements in those areas to feel confident in that profile. So that's just one that, I mean, he, I think he's polarizing in general, the range of opinions on him isn't huge for us on the staff, but he, he just, a he's a player I would rather be lower on and be wrong than like, buy into some of the very real tools and, and athleticism and defensive versatility and defensive impact. Like he's just a guy that I'm probably going to be lower on than, than others. Yeah. Like it's when we go back to our conversation earlier about Leo Dallas, DeVry and risk, like, yeah, the risk with him is he's 17 years old and hasn't, you know, he's been in professional baseball for three days. So um, whereas with Rafaela, the you know he's he's already played in the big leagues he's hit i mean he hit 312 370 618 in 219 plate appearances last year in triple a as a 22 year old so in terms of proximity to the major leagues and like what can go wrong all the way up the minor league ladder that that risk is very low but you're right that the risk in terms of his approach is still pretty high uh, it's a 5% walk rate um he does i mean he did hit for he hit 20 home runs this year he hit 21 home runs the year before for mm-hmm. somebody who's you know not all that big of a guy like there is some power there but yeah the the lack of selectivity at the plate is a, a pretty big concern and and we saw it get exposed when he did get up to boston later in the season so not look there's a, a lot of guys who've struggled in a, a a brief cameo when they get called up so he's not alone in that regard but um it's the i would say the major league sample is less concerning to me than just the fact that it doesn't seem like any year in the minors he took a step forward in the areas that we have concerns about like i would i would be right. more surprised if he had made the adjustment at the major league level i'm his his what was it 28 game sample in the big leagues that doesn't concern me 
any more than everything he's shown us to be as a minor leaguer, if that makes sense. Like, he does have some pop. He does have some power. He's hit some home runs. He's fast. He can play defense. But at the end of the day, like, I want more conviction in, in a bat. And I think there are others in this range um, that do have their warts as profiles as, as players overall. But I would rather... I'd rather go towards maybe a hitter that I have some more conviction in the, the hitting ability and the approach that maybe do have some defensive questions over the, the opposite. Yeah, I would agree. He'd probably be right on the outside of it, of the top 100 for me. But I also think he does still belong in mm-hmm. this group because he, he does have that proximity to yeah. the big I had him. I had him one. Risk some. I had him 123. And I think I was I was the lowest on staff with that with that ranking. But yeah. And it's not terribly far off. Okay. Uh, any other names, Ben? Uh, yeah, I think you know, like if you look at the Yankees system, they have some guys where I'd probably be a little bit lower on them, particularly Austin Wells. Um, I, I, I have concerns, um, certainly defensively with him. Um, really struggled throwing out runners this year um it's and just overall behind the plate uh you know i i know you know we had some talk to some people uh I, I didn't but you know we did as a staff have you know some people who saw him this year and thought he did get better defensively but i'm still like i'd have trouble seeing him as a uh you know a regular behind the plate and then if he does have to move off the position, I just don't see enough offensive impact there to carry him as a regular if, if he goes to, you know, say to first base. So uh, he'd be somebody where I'd, I'd, I just have a lot more question marks on how, how much value that profile has um, at the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think I would have him over a guy like I just mentioned, Rafael. I think I had Austin Wells at the very back end of my personal ranking. Um, where do we have him on the list? 71? Yeah, I had him 98. So I had him in, in my top 100. I think he's maybe a good example of the player I was just describing that I would prefer to Rafaela. And I'm good that I have at least some consistency here with my list because I, I think all your concerns are warranted, but I just do think he's got a chance to be a better hitter. Um, and whatever that's worth, depending on defense, who knows, but I would rather take a chance on a, a bat like that, um, than an athlete like Rafaela. Although again, I think, I think once we're in the 70 plus range that there are a lot of warts with a lot of players, one guy that, that I actually didn't bring up earlier, who I think we're in agreement here. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, a guy that I think can move up this list pretty quickly next year is Tommy Troy. Um, Troy was a uh, first-round pick by the D-backs, uh, picked in the middle of the first round. We had him pretty close to Matt Shaw throughout the draft process. I think he's probably a, a lot closer to – it's hard to say because Matt Shaw's pro debut was so good, and I think he does have a little more thunder in his hands, a little bit more pure athleticism. But I think Tommy Troy is just a really well-rounded profile. Uh, I like his instincts. I like his pure hitting ability. I think he does have some sneaky pop offensively. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all is after he starts getting into his first full season, if he moves up the board, um, I had him ranked in the seventies, right? I, I basically view him as a similar talent to Braden Taylor, who I had at 73. I think I had Troy at 74 and Troy is a guy who, who maybe just missed this list. Um, and he, he would be a guy that I'm excited about going into 2024. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I like him. Maybe not. I don't know if I share quite the enthusiasm <laughs> that you have. Okay. Maybe him, you will in but... due time, Ben. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like, do you, do you think there is a big gap right now between him and Matt Shaw? Because I, I think Shaw has really, what what he did in pro ball, what, what those guys did with wood bats <laughs> the last year was uh, really separated Shaw pretty well above Troy for me. Um, yeah, I mean, he just hit the ball so hard. I, I think there is a gap. I guess I would just say, like, the group of players that were selected in the same range, like, I'm I'm high on a lot of them. Troy, Braden Taylor, um, Shaw, like, it, it makes sense to me to push Shaw up, like, when you see what he did at the levels he did, um, the end zone contact he showed, the athlete that he is. I think it makes sense to have some separation, but it wouldn't shock me if both Troy and Taylor came out and and really added a lot of conviction to others on the staff as like locked in top 100 types instead of maybe the more like fringe 100 guys they are now. Yeah. What about uh, what about arms? Are there guys pitchers toward the you know the second half of the list? Like I, I look at the back, I look at the back end, and I see, I think Nick Frasso. I mean, and he with the Dodgers, and and he is somebody who has a lot of durability concerns. Like, I don't think he's thrown 100 innings ever <laughs> in a season, and he just turned 25 years old. But, um, you know, so I, I don't know if it's going to be a starter or a very carefully managed workload starter for the Dodgers or if it ends up in a relief role. But I just... I look at I look at the stuff he has. It's it's definitely a starter's pitch mix. I don't know if it's starter durability, and and he did that. You know, he has Tommy John surgery in his past too. But the it's 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 an awesome fastball. I mean, mid mid nineties, uh, touching upper nineties, a lot of life. Uh, slider is plus. I think the changeup is a really good pitch. For him, maybe even an underrated pitch, just because of how much attention the fastball slider uh, combination gets for him. But he does have the ability to get a lot of swing and miss with that changeup. So I, I think it's a big weapon for him. Where you know, I I hope he can have the capacity to start just in terms of the durability. But um, that that is the big question for him. But I, I look at the stuff that he has and I. I think there's pretty big upside for him, whether it's as a, a starter or, you know, if it does end up in a relief role, I think he could be a, a really dominant reliever too. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I would have a couple of Dodgers players to mention here. I would mention him as well as Gavin Stone. I think I was pretty mm-hmm. high on Gavin. We have him 82. I ranked him around 51. Maybe that is a little bit aggressive. Um, I like the proximity of the majors. Obviously he got some time. In 2023, it wasn't the best performance, um, but just his ability to throw strikes at an above-average clip um, and some of the other stuff he's shown is good. Another pitcher who is not on the list, but I actually found myself really coming to like him, and I was surprised, too, because um, this is a profile that I I typically think I'd maybe steer away from just out of maybe some risk fear is Chase Petty with the Reds, um, originally drafted by the Twins in the first round in 2021 um he was acquired in the sony gray trade i think he's done some really good things in terms of the command and the ability to use his secondaries that are encouraging 
moving forward. I mean, in 2023, he started 18 games through 68 innings. It was a 172 ERA. That was between high A and double A. Um, he struck out 8.7 per nine, walked two per nine. Uh, it's not like a super miss-heavy fastball, it doesn't seem. It's not like the elite velocity that he showed in high school on average. And I think that makes some sense. Like on a pro schedule, you're might, maybe not going to hit those insane velocity numbers that he was touching in high school on, on a regular pitching schedule as a starter. But I, I think he's got a ton of life with the fastball. It looks like the slider and the changeup have... I mean, the slider has always been a pretty good pitch. It seems like the changeup has really been the one element of his arsenal that has taken a step forward. And now we're talking about a guy who potentially has plus control. I would have to go back to the draft report and, and talk through like what what he was at the time, but I don't remember ever thinking about him as like a plus command pitcher. And so I think he's a guy who's really intriguing to me. I wonder like what the ultimate upside will be for him like in a rotation. Um, but once we get into this range, he's definitely a pitcher that I would be intrigued with. And I think I had him like on the very back end of my list. Yeah, I had him 94. So like, if you don't think he's 100, that makes sense. But he was a guy that actually, the more I dug into him and the more I heard about him from others on staff, uh, I found myself getting really intrigued. Yeah. Well, I wrote that draft report, so I can tell you he did not have that kind of control <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in high school. I mean, the the type of pitcher that he is now is just very different than it was in high school where the the selling point for him was this you know really athletic pitcher who uh, mm-hmm. could throw fire with his fastball um, you know he wasn't always touching you know 100 miles an hour every start but he you know he was up there he was he was you know tickling 9900 miles an hour in high school it was you know if you like him you like the the power arm the slider that he had and then the risk was there you know there is effort to the operation and scattered strikes and is he going to figure it out and yeah now it's like he's he's really reinvented himself as a pitcher i don't like you know everybody saw him in high school so um i don't think it was like oh the reports on who he was at the time were wrong uh, that's what he was but he's become yeah. a much different type of pitcher now yeah. where he he seems like more of a pitcher and less of a thrower now and it's really helped him out he he now is like the pitcher i thought jt ginn was going to be um jt ginn who was selected by the dodgers in the first round of 2018 um didn't sign and then was a second rounder by the mets in 2020 uh so yeah i'm i'm, I'm pretty in on chase petty now i'm excited for him all right the one other guy for me toward the back end of this list, just in terms of the pitchers I'm really intrigued by is Robert Gasser with the Brewers. He's not typically a profile I get super excited about. Like I, I think a lot of times in the draft, you know, Padres drafted him in the second round, ch- traded him to Milwaukee in the Josh Hader deal. And a lot of times in the draft, we think of these guys as like, oh, uh, like a safe back-end type starter profile. And a lot of times it ends up just being a guy who uh, tops out at like AAA or gets a cup of coffee and just isn't good enough to stick around in the big leagues, but uh, for or at least for a meaningful period of time. But he, he, I mean, he had a really good season this year in AAA, especially after the first couple months of the season um i think he was maybe getting 
accustomed to the the automated strike zone there the first couple months because after that like if you just look at the overall numbers I, I don't think it totally reflects how good he was uh the you know the last three months of the season he he was throwing a lot of strikes he led all triple a arms in strikeouts too uh i mean part of that is just because the brewers kept him in triple a all season when i think maybe a lot of other organizations might have had him up in the big leagues by the end of the year but nothing nothing overpowering certainly in terms of the velocity he's sitting low 90s he might scrape a 95 but the uh, the fastball really really runs um it's you know that low release height a lot of a lot of arm side run uh he has the cutter now he'll 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 mix that in the the slider really breaks uh it really sweeps heavily hmm. the the opposite way from his changeup um or excuse me from his from his fastball and and then the changeup um it's you know it's a usable pitch but not a a big part of his arsenal so uh just the way everything just the way his stuff moves uh and the way he was able to throw strikes at the end of the season uh you know th- this kind of profile out of the draft I'm not crazy about but w- when a guy's proven it all the way up through AAA I-, I get a lot more intrigued that it, it might just continue to work at higher levels where I, I think the general feedback on him is like yeah now he he does look like a backhand starter but sometimes these guys end up being yeah. better than people expect and end up being number you know number threes even even number you know two type starters too so mm-hmm. uh, i think he could end up being one of those guys yeah i'm with you on gasser i had him a lot closer to a guy like drew thorpe in my top 100 i think i had both those pitchers in the 70s mm-hmm. on mine so i think there's some similarities there and i also agree with you that like it is a lot easier to just be excited about and have conviction in this sort of profile once they posted uh, over a full season AAA like Gasser just did. When you when you strike out batters at a high rate, even though you don't think like they have overpowering stuff, like it still makes you feel like they are they're good enough at what they're doing to make the most of the stuff they have. Like it's it's a lot different than maybe a pitcher who's just drafted who doesn't really have the resume in pro ball and you still wonder okay like what is this pitch quality going to be like against advanced hitters like he's proven a lot um yeah so i'm in agreement with you on that one as well yeah well very good very good very good (laughs) uh yeah there's no other names that really jump out to me at this point we've hit a lot of the uh a lot of the highlights for me in terms of guys i was personally maybe higher or lower on then do you have any others i mean we can keep going um try yeah i mean who do you is is there guys who are either in the back of this list right now or somebody who just missed who who you think has a chance to jump into like just really vault up the list next year be a top yeah 50 even top 25 my prospect for you my names for that would be colt emerson bryce eldridge Chase Dolander, Kyle Teal, Xavier Isaac would be a few names that I throw out that I think have that potential. Those are good ones. I noticed you went Chase Dolander and not Rhett Louder. I did. See, I because to me, I would have I, if if I had to pick a pitcher. Yeah. In this group, I would have Louder. Okay. Ahead of Dolander, you think Dolander 
I think there is. I think you can project more on Dolander at this point than you can on Louder, is what I would say. Like, I think there's a chance Louder is a better pitcher, ultimately. I had them, uh, let's see, I had Dolander 47, I had Louder 48, and they're also right beside each other on our list, just inverse, flipped. Um, I think that Louder is pretty polished and pretty advanced. The usage rates of his pitches now, I think, are are pretty efficient already. Um, I think Dolander in 2022 is a tier better of a pitcher than Rhett Louder in 2023. And so one of the reasons why Dolander is so exciting to me in, in 24, moving forward, is I'm really just curious to see what version of Chase Dolander we're going to get. I think he's got a chance to have a better fastball. I think he has a chance to have a better breaking ball. I think he has a chance to have a deeper pitch mix. Um, I think he has a chance to add more physicality. Uh, so I, I think you can just dream a little bit more on Dolander. At least I can. Um, but I, I think Rhett Lauder is a really good pitcher. He tunnels his stuff really well. Um, he comes right at you. He knows how to mix in the changeup and the slider. Like he's got great feel. Um, I, I would just be more excited about Dolander's upside. And I think if he clicks next year, it wouldn't shock me if he shot up. See, all, all I hear from that is that, yeah, Rhett Lauder is more advanced than Chase yeah. Dolander. I, I mean, think I, he's I, less I, risky. I hear what you're saying. He's definitely less of... risky, I think. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of like the raw stuff upside being. I also, higher. I also just don't like Louder's delivery as much as I like Dolander's. Like his, the way his his foot lands and his hip, it, how it comes through, it's just like, it's very odd to me. Like this is very nitpicky and like probably ultimately doesn't matter. But I, I yeah, I, I would definitely, if I had to bet on one of these guys moving forward, I would, I would want to dream on Dolander. You want, you gotta want to project a little bit, Ben. Come on. I, see, I, I think Red Louder could fly through. And he could have a Robbie Snelling minor league pitcher of the year type season yeah. next year. I think he could fly through. Like, I, I don't think the lower levels, if they. I even... think he could move quickly, if that's what you're yeah. saying. I agree yeah. with you there. And I, I think, I mean, I, I think the way, I think the stuff that he has and the way that he pitches is all going to translate mm. at the highest levels, too. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't. It's not a soft tosser. But he doesn't throw with the same raw velocity as Chase Dolander, but it's good. I mean, it's three good pitches, and he yep. throws a lot of strikes. He mixes it really well. The pitchability is really advanced. I think he could go, yeah, like kind of where we have Robbie Snelling right now, and and end up being a top thirty prospect in baseball by by the end of the year, if if not even before then, if he goes out and. You know, pitches this year. <laughs> Certainly, if he does the way that uh, he did it at Wake last year. Yeah, both these will be interesting. I, I think a lot of it is honestly going to depend on like the pitching development of both these organizations. Like, do you have a lot of confidence in either Cincinnati or Colorado to maximize pitchers? I think with kind of like you said with Louder, almost just leave him alone. <laughs> like, try, try not to or with screw anything up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't like you said. I don't think there's a whole lot of adjustments to be made mm-hmm. with Rhett Louder. I think he's just a really good pitcher right now. Who I don't know. I don't know where they're gonna send him to start the year. But like, if he starts in Double A, that wouldn't surprise me. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, okay, that'll be a good one to track. See, see who uh, who turns out more more accurate on that one. But I, I will say, I, I mean, I like both these pitchers. I had them both top fifty. I think they're both pretty good. I just think like 
based on the pitcher these two are now, I think I think there's a little more ceiling with Dolander if that makes sense. But yeah, okay, yeah, I hear you. All right, any other any others you want to mention as excited for for next year? Uh, I guess this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned two good ones with Bryce Eldridge and and we talked about Colt Emerson before. Um, so I, I would I would agree on those two. Okay. Um, yeah, Xavier Isaac too is another uh, another one who's really catapulted his stock over <laughs> over the last certainly the last two years from being very under the radar as a draft uh, prospect. I mean, he was a top one hundred guy. <laughs> well, like the summer before, was he? He was injured. He didn't play much during the summer before he right, was injured. That's, but yeah, that's what I mean. Like sure. he wasn't being seen yeah. and like Keone Kavaka was also not over the, yeah he was just like a later riser I guess you could say but on draft yeah. day I mean he was not a I don't think that pick was as shocking as everyone made it out to be on draft day like he had 80 grade raw power as a high school kid it's not it's not shocking to me that someone would have taken a shot on him yeah uh, I'm not saying nobody knew who he was just mm. wasn't I like gotcha. a, I got gotcha. you household name <laughs> that's true um, yeah yeah those are I mean the tough thing is like you know the guys who are at the upper levels if they keep hitting, probably won't be prospects mm-hmm. um, at this point. So um, yeah. So if they still are, like, there's not a reason for them to really jump up a board. <laughs> yeah, there's probably going to be some concern there more than <laughs> anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a bunch of guys who are, you know, like in the Dominican summer league this year, who <clears throat> I'd keep an eye on if you're looking for like deeper breakout types uh yo andre vargas shortstop with the dodgers um you know maybe he's a shortstop maybe he's a third baseman he's already pretty big so uh but at either position i think he he could project pretty well had a really good debut for them uh last year in the dsl he was their big international signing in 2023 uh everything everything looks right with him he hit he got on base he hit for power uh, he's somebody I could see taking uh, a big step forward for them. I mean, they have a whole bunch of candidates. Like that's why the Dodger system is ranked where it is because, like, I, I don't know the it's the we don't, we don't see like a ton of Dodgers at the very high end of our top 100. Like, they're you know they had Michael Bush. Obviously, they traded him away. Their highest guy on the list is Dalton Rushing at number 50, but the just the depth of the system is pretty absurd. Certainly the arms that they have coming out of the draft and they just have this array of position players, both from the draft and internationally, whether it's uh, Vargas, uh, Eduardo Quintero, uh, obviously I think probably Josway De Paula would be the obvious uh, or, or the, you know, the biggest profile mm-hmm. candidate for them to break out a lot of great offensive attributes to 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 really like with him defensively a lot more limitations but to see what he did uh this past season at, at such a young age was really impressive so um you know I, I think they have a whole bunch of guys who uh, are candidates to move on here next year yeah, I'll throw three more on that are not on the 100 now, but I think would be candidates to move on with strong seasons. Um, Charlie Soto, right-handed pitcher with the Twins. Um, honestly, some similarities to what 
what Chase Petty does in terms of like fastball shape, maybe less like less positive shape, but uh, slider changeup, athleticism. I think he could jump on this with good performance. Uh, I think he just throws a lot of pitches at a high level on top of having a pretty solid athletic foundation. And I also think there's a lot of room for him to just develop as a pitcher, just given how long he's been pitching and it's not quite as long as a lot of his peers. Uh, so he's one. Another would be Aiden Miller, third baseman with the Phillies. Um, I just really like the hitting ability, the bat speed, the power with him. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me if he went out and performed and jumped up. And then a last one would be Walker Martin with the Giants. I've always really liked Walker. Another, I think, I guess Aiden Miller maybe less so, but Walker Martin and Charlie Soto both stand out as just really impressive athletes for me. Walker Martin's swing from the left side, I really loved that. Um, very compact, great balance in his lower half. Uh, I think he's really well-rounded tools-wise as a defender, as a shortstop. He can throw, he can run. I just think he does a lot of things really well. I thought he could have gone in the back of the first round. Um, so those would be three more from um, this recent draft that I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah, I think especially Aiden Miller. I mean, if he had been healthy all year, he probably would have just gone higher yep. in the draft. I mean, I know it was a really good draft class anyway and he did go in the first round it's not like he fell, yeah i think he had far, a much but... better chance to go like 10 to 20 if he was healthy for sure than kind of back half, back third of the first round yeah so yeah I, I like that pick um you know if we want to look at other young young hitters like young international hitters i think alfredo duno the catcher with the reds is a good one he had a huge year in the dominican summer league this year uh, 303, 451, 493, uh, hit for power, showed a good sense of the strike zone. Um, he didn't catch last year, um, um, but I think he's going to, you know, it was like, you know, just an arm issue, but he didn't have surgery or anything. And when he's been healthy, he's had at least a plus arm uh, and gets good reviews for his defense as well so um but the yeah the combination of hitting ability certainly the power is in there too we saw that all offensively and if the if if he's able to catch everything looks right next year which it it certainly did as an amateur even for somebody who's as big as he is i think it's a pretty exciting player i mean he's not he's not ethan Salas, they they signed the same class. I certainly have Salas ahead of him, but like at the time, those were the two big catchers in that class. And Duno certainly belonged as an elite talent in that group. So if he comes over, uh, hits in in the ACL the way he did in the DSL, and shows he can, you know, catch regularly and and looks good behind the plate, he's somebody I could see making a, a big jump too. Awesome. All right. Well, there are a bunch of names for you guys. Um, if you're looking ahead for some some sleeper picks, maybe or some some risers. Um, ben, we do have an email we can get to if you want to jump into that. If you don't have anything else you want to talk about, yeah, let's go. All right. So we have an email from Travis. He asks if AJ Smith Shaver were in the 2024 draft class, where would he currently rank amongst college pitchers, and where would he rank overall in the class as a whole? His 2023 minor league numbers likely would have translated into a very good season as a sophomore in the Big 12 if he had gone to Texas Tech. And while the quality of his stuff seems to fluctuate, it has looked incredible at times, specifically in his start against the Cubs in September. Uh, So good question. We right now have 
AJ Smith Shaver on the top 100. He checks in at number 42 overall. I don't think there's a, a single player or single pitcher in this 2024 class that right now is a lock to be on the 100 initially. Um, and certainly I don't think there's a pitcher who's a lot to be top 50 right away. I mean, our top pitchers in the class right now are guys like Josh Hartle at Wake Forest, Chase Burns also at Wake Forest, um, Hagen Smith, a left-handed pitcher at Arkansas. Like a lot of these college pitchers next year have huge question marks. Brody Brecht has like similar or better pure stuff than AJ Smith Shava right now, but he also has massive, massive strikes questions. Um, and so I think that if AJ Smith-Shalver were in this 2024 class, um, just based on everything we know about all these pitchers and given the development Smith-Shalver has had, he, he would pretty easily rank as the top pitcher in the class right now. Um, and just in terms of like where draft prospects typically rank uh, immediately after the draft, he feels like he would fit somewhere in the top five overall on the class. Um, we typically have a few guys that rank in the top 20 25 ish range um but we have just going back to 2023 as like a really good draft class we've got five players that rank inside the top 20 from that class um beyond that we have um let's see matt shaw so that would make it six um so we have six players in the top 40 and i i think at this point the 2024 class is not as good as the 2023 draft class. So it feels fairly safe to say that Smith Shaver would be somewhere in this top five range. I'm not exactly sure like how you'd compare him as a pitcher compared to really advanced pure hitters like JJ Weatherholt and Travis Pizana. It probably just depends on like your tolerance for pitching prospects and the fact that like Smith Shaver is in the big leagues right now. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you could pretty easily say he'd be top five. And I think I would be pretty confident putting him as, like the clear cut top college pitcher in the class. Any thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, last year we had two. It was ju- it was just Rhett Louder and Dolander. Those are the only college pitchers who ended up in our top one hundred, right? From the twenty three draft, or obviously Paul in Skeens. Skeens. Oh, yeah. right. Who? <laughs> yeah, that, that Paul Skeens guy. I just like put him in a separate category. Paul Skeens Revenge Tour twenty twenty four. Remind yeah. people who you are, man. All, Come on. All. All on his own, <laughs> and then there's, oh yeah, everybody that is else. True. Yeah, that is after true. Him. Um, yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, but there's probably, I mean, there probably will be somebody from this group. Like we just don't necessarily know who yet. Like mm-hmm. you said, if Brody Brecht comes out and he's um, throwing a ton of strikes, like all of a sudden that <laughs> really changes his yeah status. Uh, like I could see Chase Burns making a big leap up the list this year too yep. uh he goes out at, at wake uh you know makes some you know, i think kind of smaller tweaks i could see him jumping way way up this list and putting himself into that group too but yeah you're right there's no one college pitcher where you'd have him in the probably yeah like in the range of what we had um paul Skeens or chase dolander too to yeah. start like at this stage last year, we had Chase Dolander ranked two on the board and people were talking about Chase Dolander as like the best college pitching prospect in like the last five years or so. Uh, we, we don't have that sort of pitcher now. We've got a lot of stuff in this year's class. We just have a lot less 
we have a lot less starter conviction in the in the pitchers who have the best stuff. Like if Josh Hartle adds three ticks of velocity, like Paul Skeens did, maybe he's a guy that you get a lot more excited about because his foundation of of strikes and command and uh, just the deep pitch mix. But he he's averaging ninety miles per hour with his fastball. So um, just I, I think every college pitcher in this class just has pretty serious questions that you need to see them at least address this spring before they're in a, a range where I would consider them um, over AJ Smith Shaver. Okay. Uh, and that, that's all we had for today from the email side. So if you guys do want to send us emails in the future, if you want to uh, talk prospects with us, have a question, have some feedback on the show, um, you can. It's projection at baseballamerica.com is the email. Um, ben, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, I just appreciate all the uh, everybody following along on – January 15th, uh, obviously an awesome day for so many players, their families, uh, just a big day in the baseball world. And for everybody following along with our top 100, we've just seen a, a huge uh, – January is always a big month for us, so it's always fun to see the big uh, spike in interest and people coming to the site this month. So uh, always, always appreciate all you guys for – uh, not just listening to what we do here and us rambling, especially <laughs> me for uh, a couple hours every week or what we try to do every week. So, um, but yeah, definitely appreciate all you guys for subscribing and, and supporting what we do at BA. Yeah, absolutely. We, we cannot do what we do without you guys. So like Ben said, I'm very appreciative of the support. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed all the content that we've had on the site this month. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of future projection. Um, We'll be back next week to talk about more. Um, So for Ben, I'm Carlos. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.